Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like these, like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it will be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye and have two eyes, and to be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills, and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. 6 8 we'll head off now. Morning, everyone. My name is Gavin. Thank you, John. I forgot that. Uh, everyone calls me Gav, and I have the joy and privilege of leading the congregation at Gledswood Hills, who'll be here uh, a little bit later on for our AGM, uh, which will be really great. The last time I was in this hall, my daughter was made captain of this school which was a real privilege and a, you know, proud father moment. And uh, it looks great. Well done. I haven't seen it at its church yet. And uh, it's awesome. I love the, the, the screens on the chair stands. That's uh, the different heights too to get. It's amazing. It's really good. That's really cool. I like that the school got your, your church colour for the chairs. That was nice of them. You know, that was a nice touch uh, for the school. So uh, well done, school. Um, so John told me this morning that I need to preach for about an hour to buy Gledswood Hills some time uh, to get over here. Is that... No, 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 I'm mistaken. No, no, he said, keep it short. That's right, because we've got, yeah, the AGM, right, right, okay. That's right. How many pages have we got here? No, we'll be fine. We're all good. I'm going to pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, thank you for your word, the Bible, and all its truth. Thank you for our Lord, our glorious Lord Jesus and he's teaching to us today. And Lord, we pray that you clear our mind of distractions and open our hearts, soften them uh, to receive your word with joy and thanksgiving. And by your Holy Spirit, help us to put your word into practice, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, it's nice to feel significant and important, is it not? Um, that's not working. Um, that wasn't me. Um, I'll just give you a nod up there. Um, it's nice to feel um, significant and important. Before I went off to Moore College to become a minister, uh, I worked for my best friend growing up's dad. His name was John, and he was a director of two companies, a fire protection company and an explosion protection company. He kind of directed the both of them, and then he had a managing director underneath him, uh, Steve in the fire side and Tony in the explosion side. And I worked for both companies, 
uh, and doing different things that I won't bore you with the details right now. Uh, just for the record, we tried to prevent fires and explosions, not create them. Uh, that was our, our company's role and job. And ask me later about that if you're interested. Um, it was really good. Now, every often on a Friday, not every Friday, but often on a Friday, John would take us all across the road, about eight of us in this kind of stuff, across the road to the Chinese restaurant uh, for lunch, which was really nice. And after about 40 minutes, Steve the managing director of the fire side of things, he'd start to fidget in his seat. And so the, the kind of admin staff and the service manager from the fire side, they'd all head back to the office because it was time, you know, Steve wanted him to go back to work. Um, and then about 15 minutes later, uh, Steve would start to fidget again. And uh, he, that was the moment where he was expecting that I would get up and together we would go back to the office. And John would say to him, um, oh, yeah, look at the time. Yeah, Steve, you head back. And Tony would head back then to the office uh, Gav and I are just going to be a few more minutes. We'll be right behind you, okay? And I felt terribly important <laughs> and significant in that moment. And uh, John would usually order a glass of port for us both and we'd spend another 40 minutes talking, much to Steve's disgust. It was awkward, um, but I did feel a bit chuffed that, you know, I was, I was important in that way and I was significant even though I got my managing director's nose out of joint. Um, I could have headed back with my boss, but I enjoyed the attention and the feeling of importance and significance hanging back with the big boss, my best mate's dad. It is natural to enjoy feeling, to enjoy feeling important and to enjoy feeling significant in this world. It's actually a God-given human instinct to need, to look for significance in human relationships uh, in the world, to matter to people. We want to matter to people, not to everyone, but to some people, uh, we really want to matter. One of the greatest dehumanizing punishments for a human being is imprisonment, the removal of you from society. The, the bold statement that says to you, our society doesn't need you. We're going to lock, lock you up and we're going to continue on just fine without you contributing to society at all, apart from making a few license plates perhaps. And then solitary confinement has to be close to the pinnacle of punishment, the removal of you from your fellow inmates who have all collectively been removed from society. I think the pinnacle, of course, is execution. You are so irrelevant to this world, so very unimportant and insignificant that we've decided we don't need you in this world at all anymore and we're going to execute you. In the ancient world, the most unimportant and insignificant people were criminals and the state, which was the Roman Empire, did not waste valuable resources by imprisoning people back then that they still had to feed and all that kind of stuff. They would murder them on a crude Roman cross for all the world to see and be warned. And our transfigured, glorious Lord Jesus made himself the pinnacle of insignificance and unimportance in the eyes of the world for the sake of you and me, for the sake of sinners. But at no point, not even when he was forsaken by God, was Jesus unimportant or insignificant in the eyes of his loving Father in heaven. Contrary, in fact, God says, This is my Son, whom I love, he said it twice at his baptism and his transfiguration, I am pleased with him. 
Listen to him, he said at the transfiguration, which we learned a couple of weeks ago. We've known, haven't we, since chapter 16, that to follow Jesus is to take up your cross, to deny yourself, to deny what you want for yourself, to take up your cross and to follow him. And today, in chapter 18, Jesus again explains to his disciples and to us, his disciples, exactly what that means. You must become like a little child. You must become, be willing to become, insignificant and unimportant in the eyes of the world. Useless, perhaps, in the eyes of the world. What does it look like for full-grown, well-educated, healthy, strong adults to become like little children? What's that mean and how do we do that? How do we become insignificant in the eyes of the world for the sake of Jesus? Next slide. Well, it's what Jesus requires. This isn't a suggestion from Jesus. This is a command. And he makes it clear in the first few verses of our chapter. Look again at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them And he said, truly, I tell you, which means listen up, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Following the transfiguration of Jesus, I'm guessing the 12 are thinking that things are looking up. Things are looking good. Jesus is glorious. He's amazing. He's glowing. Woohoo! Things are going well. So they begin vying for the top spot in the kingdom. You know, not above Jesus, but almost. Um, Who's going to be at his right hand? Who's going to be kind of the second in charge of the kingdom? Who's going to be Jesus? Let us know. They still don't get it, do they? They still don't realize what it means to deny yourself and follow Jesus. Now picture the scene. Imagine you're there, 13 men, 12 disciples, Jesus. Many of the men are ex-fishermen. They're probably fairly big. They're probably fairly strong. They're probably fairly stinky if they're ex-fishermen. And into this group of burly men, Jesus brings a little child into their midst. And as the men stand down, stare down at the child wondering what's going on, the little one stares up as if looking up in a forest of trees at all these men around them. The child must have looked insignificant amongst this group of men, one of them being the son of God. A little child has no power to change their circumstances. A little child has no agency Amongst adults, the child wears what his parents put on them, eats what they feed him, they go where they take, they go where their parents take her. Little children were loved in the first century, don't get me wrong, but they were unimportant and insignificant as far as a society was concerned. And this is Jesus' very point. Adults, on the other hand, have power and have agency and like to assert themselves to get what they want for themselves in the world, as the disciples have just boldly tried to do. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Is it you? Is it me? I hope it's me. 
Adults rely on their own strength, their own intelligence, their own power to generate agency and to do the things they want to do and go the places they want to go. Jesus says, you need to change. Your attitude needs to change. Friends, we, all of us, we need to change. We need to become like a little child in our relationship with Jesus. Did you see it's not automatic when you become a Christian? You become like a little child like that. We need to become like a little child, Jesus says. And if we don't change, Jesus makes clear through his emphatic statement in verse 3, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not natural for us at all. Self-assertion, self-preservation, that's natural. But to become a little child and throw ourselves on the mercy of another and entirely entrust ourselves to them is unnatural. Dependence on another, it's not natural. It's not comfortable. We need to change. Jesus is calling upon us to deny ourselves, to humble ourselves before him to die to ourselves, entrust ourselves to him and live how he wants us to live. And the way he wants us to live is to constantly seek the good of others, to be servant-hearted rather than self-serving in whatever situation we're in for God's glory. It's a daily commitment to decide to serve others today at church and this afternoon at home, and tomorrow at school or university or work, whatever it is, wherever you are tomorrow, you need to decide in the morning, I'm going to serve others today. At home, washing the dishes when you just want to watch the footy. I'm not talking about anyone in particular there. (laughs) Helping with the kids' homework when you just want to sit and relax. Listening intently to your wife as she tells you about her genuine struggles at work that she's having trouble with, making her a cuppa, rubbing her shoulders for my wife, her feet. I know, she's weird. I can't hands, <laughs> don't touch my feet. She loves it. After a hard day at work yourself, picking up the wet towel the kids left on the floor or putting your husband's shoes away one more time, even though it drives you insane that he leaves them out because you love him. And you know, he's had a hard day as well, being servant-hearted, At home, listening to your parents, being kind to your brother and sister when your instinct is to be mean, considering your colleagues more important than yourself, stepping back at work when everyone's stepping forward and jockeying for position, letting that other lunatic driver cut in on you, backing away so that he can get in even though you know they belong in jail. You serve them, even them. If you are a lunatic driver and you call yourself a Christian, you need to either slow down and be courteous on the road or stop calling yourself a Christian. It's not Christian to drive like a lunatic. This is humility, friends. This is other person-centred service is humility. And it's this practice of humility and other person's servant heartedness which will bring us to become like little children. That is the way 
to become like a little child. No longer depending on yourself, depending on God. And so freeing yourself up to care for others. You don't need to serve yourself anymore because God's got you. You're freed up to serve others. A child is unable to assert themselves in the world. They don't have the strength. They don't have the wealth. They don't have the power. Jesus says, even though you might have the strength and the wealth and the power to assert yourself, don't. Rather, be humble. Depend on him to care for you. Depend on him to deal out justice to the lunatic driver and everyone else. Serve others. Secondly, Jesus gives a dire warning against those who don't just fail to be humble, but actually use their power to exploit the weak. And he really doesn't pull any punches here, and I love it. Look at verse 5. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of, the, anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things they cause, that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Jesus broadens his petition to not only become like a child, but as Christians to welcome little children. But then makes the extraordinary statement that anyone who welcomes a little child and cares for them welcomes him. Such is his great love and care and interest in the little children. As we love them, we love him. To welcome them is to welcome him. It's at this point I begin to question, is he just talking about children now or is he talking about all who are weak and marginalised by our world? He says, those who believe in me. He's talking about, I think he's talking about all Christians. He appears to be broadening this out from not just little children, but all people, particularly Christians, who are lowly or marginalised or weak. One of the things I love about our parish is a very, very high priority we put on children's ministry, and not only children's ministry, but safe children's ministry, child protection and vulnerable people protection is a very high priority in our parish, and it always has been, at least so long as Jono has been at the helm. We are a church who takes child discipleship and the safety of children very, very seriously. We make sure we get trained if we're working with children, and we make sure our training is up to date, right? Sometimes we forget to renew our safe ministry, and sometimes... Kate sends us a lovely reminder, being the wonderful children's minister that she is. She might send you a little email or something and say, just letting you know your safe ministry is not up to date. You need to bring it up to date. And I am entirely confident that everyone who receives that email receives it with thanksgiving and in, urges, in earnest and urgency. They respond to Kate's urging to bring their safe ministry up to date. I'm sure that's what happens, right? Across the room. Should it be that that's not you, feel free to pull your phone out and set a little reminder for yourself this afternoon to get on top of your safe ministry training today. That would be great. Um, you can do that. It's twice. You can pull out your phone in church. No dramas. From the great privilege of welcoming Jesus himself as we welcome children, Jesus now issues an incredibly dire warning. And again, 
It's a warning that I feel our church heeds already. Should we cause one of Jesus' precious little ones to sin through deliberately leading them astray or laziness in our part, which leads them astray, it would better to have a heavy millstone tied around our neck, not a small one, a heavy one, and be tossed into the sea, not just a lake, the sea. In other words, our fate will be inescapable, is what he's trying to say. Woe to the world if it should lead people into sin. And Jesus' promise is that it will lead people into sin. Jesus' warning is against all who lead his beloved people into sin, especially those people who are lowly, weak, marginalised, powerless, like little children, unable to defend themselves. You're better off dead, says Jesus, than leading one of them into stray, leading one of them astray into sin. We must take the caring of the weak and vulnerable extremely seriously, and I think as a parish we do that, which is good. Third point. Not only are we ensure that we don't lead others into sin, Jesus wants us to ensure that we don't fall into sin ourselves. Verse 8, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life, eternal life, maimed or crippled, than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. And again, Jesus is blessing us with an eschatological view of life. Eschatology is the study of end times. Jesus is lifting our eyes from our everyday to see what's coming in the end. He's teaching his disciples, live now with the end in mind. Where are we heading? It doesn't matter what this world thinks of you, only what your heavenly father thinks of you matters. Live in this world now for Jesus, not in order to please the world or to gain status in the world. We live but 80 or 90 years, and that is a blessing in itself. And as we know all too acutely and painfully, our lives are often cut much shorter than this. But the life to come is not 80 or 90 years. It's not 1,000 years, nor even 10,000 years. When we've been there 10,000 years, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. Therefore, with that in mind and view, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your feet cause you to stumble, cut them off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Or at least men, predominantly women, perhaps, Gouge out the object of your gaze that causes you to sin. Please, dear friends, be brave and gouge out pornography from your life if it exists in your life. I know the stats, so I know that in a group this size, some, at least, are trapped in this terribly ensnaring sin. Please talk to Jono about it, or Ben or me, or a Christian counsellor. 
and gouge it out. You will not be shunned. You will not be looked down upon. You will not be made to feel embarrassed. It is courageous to stand up and decide not to sin in a particular way anymore. Gouge it out, if that's you. Perhaps for you, your sin is greed, materialism, slander, gossip. Jesus is saying, not cut off your limbs, but take extreme measures to gouge the sin out of your life. We are here but a few short years. Ultimately, we live for him with whom we will spend eternity. Sin can lead us efficiently into the fires of hell. We must gouge it out. And we're here to help each other to gouge it out. And we have the Holy Spirit to help us gouge it out. Last point. Jesus moves back to the little ones again. Not necessarily children, but little ones. And he demonstrates his incredible love for his little children. Verse 10 See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? If he finds it truly, I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish." Do not despise the little ones. I think that means don't ignore them. Don't consider them less important than you or unimportant in general in our church. Even if the culture around us considers these people, whoever they are, to be unimportant and insignificant as a church, we do not. We don't despise the little ones of our church, the children, the weak, the vulnerable. And again, our church doesn't do that. We as a parish don't despise the weak. Our Lord doesn't want us to, and I hope you don't in your heart of hearts despise uh, them either. And a word to the older youth, don't despise the younger youth at youth group. Love them as you love Jesus. Young adults, don't despise the youth coming along to night church. Love them. Why? Because the angels are watching. Weird, huh? <laughs> what does that mean? What? Uh, this is not saying that everyone has a guardian angel, although that would be cool. And I would love to think what my guardian angel might look like and be like and do. But clearly I don't have a guardian angel because I make mistakes all the time. It would be cool, but there's not a lot of evidence in the Bible to support the idea that everyone has a guardian angel. Not even kids. Sorry, kids. Angels do exist. There are over 400 references to angels in the Bible. The passage is saying to us, God cares for his little ones. The angels, therefore, care for the little ones. They are watching. God and his angels are ever watching. If his little ones are despised, it will not escape God's notice. He will notice. And there will be consequences for the one who despises his little ones. God loves his people, especially the lowly, the weak and the vulnerable. If one out of a hundred of his sheep should go missing, our God is a God who will be willing to drop everything and be inconvenienced and go searching for the one who is lost. Leave the 99 
in the safety of the pasture and go looking for the one that was lost. And our God is a God whom, when he finds the one who was lost, he is overjoyed. Certainly he has joy for the 99 who are safe, but greater joy for the one who was lost and has now been found. Our God loves his children, especially those who are lowly, defeated, beaten down, marginalised, considered unimportant or insignificant by their world around them. You are not insignificant or unimportant to God. Are you feeling downcast right now? Are you feeling unimportant in the world's eyes or your family's eyes, your church's eyes, your workplace's eyes? I hope not, but if you are, remember that you are of extreme importance and significance to God. And if you were to go astray, God would go looking for you until he found you and he would bring you back with great joy and delight. What does this mean for us, friends? I think two things. Firstly, become like a little child. It actually takes effort on our part with God's help. It's not natural. In order to honour God, we must become like little children, dependent on him every day, showing our dependence by reading his word and following it, entrusting ourselves to him in prayer, and then using our efforts for the good of others. Don't be afraid if you feel unimportant or insignificant in the eyes of the world. You are significant in the eyes of God. Increasingly, we as Christians will be marginalised in our workplaces. It's happening already and it's happening rapidly. It's rapidly increasing. Christians are becoming increasingly unimportant and insignificant in our culture. Did you know that a few decades back, to become a police officer, you needed a reference from your minister. That's gone. <laughs> well and truly, Christians are being marginalised. But we're significant in the eyes of the Lord. Humble yourself, therefore, before him. Become like a little child. Secondly, as Jesus does... Use your strength for the good of others. This is how we become like little children. This is how we humble ourselves before God. We look for opportunities to serve others all the time. No matter where we are, at church, at home, at work, in the world, wherever you are, playing sport, we look for opportunities to serve others. And as we look for them, we discover more and more and we become more dependent on God. The arrogant person seeks service from others for himself. The humble person seeks to give service to others, using their power for the good of others. As Jesus did, the infinitely powerful one used his power always for the good of others. Use your God-given strengths and abilities, which you do have, and that's good, for the good of others, especially those who are weak and cannot fend for themselves, such as little children, such as people with disabilities, elderly people, broken people, hurting people, use your strength and power to lift them up 
our goal in life is not to impress the world, but to gather in the lost, all who are willing to humble themselves before our almighty God as we see the glorious day of our Lord approaching. Amen.